Welcome to the 18th edition of the Panama interview series, uh, where we discuss topics regarding foreign direct investment in Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, we are streaming live from the capital city of the Republic of Panama. Uh, the Panama interview series is produced by Beco Legal and Compliance Consulting LLC, a Miami Domicile Limited Liability Corporation with offices in downtown Miami and Panama City, Panama. Uh, we provide international, commercial, and transactional legal and regulatory compliance advice and related services to manufacturers and brand owners that seek to boost profit and hedge domestic risk through international distribution in the USA and in Latin America and the Caribbean. My name is Anthony Robinson, and I am the managing member of Beco Legal and Compliance Consulting. In the next several editions of the Panama Interview Series, we will discuss the future of probiotics in Latin America and the Caribbean and the potential of probiotics to contribute to the post-COVID economic recovery of the region. Digestive health and probiotics is one of the most dynamic sectors in the global health and wellness market, and Latin America is poised to be one of the fastest growing regions in the world for the consumption of probiotic and digestive health products. Given that the economies of Latin America and the Caribbean are forecasted to decelerate in 2023, with an estimated growth rate of only 1.3%, according to the Economic Commission of Latin America and the Caribbean, it is imperative that we identify and support economic sectors such as digestive health and probiotics that have demonstrated growth potential. Today, we focus on the emerging development modality of precision probiotics, probiotics which promises to significantly improve the efficacy of probiotics and enable manufacturers and brand owners of probiotic supplements to identify the best probiotic strains for the specific health targets of individual consumers. The promise of precision probiotics is the application of probiotics to personalized nutrition and preventative medicine. Exciting stuff. To that end, we are honored to have as our guest Jordi Riera, Chief Business Development Manager for Canica Probiotics. Canica Probiotics is a division of Canica America's Holding Inc. and is a leader in the development of scientifically based ingredients for the global nutrition industry. Canica Probiotics is committed to promoting business development to provide solutions to support healthy and energetic lives. As Chief Business Development Manager at Canica Pro Pro uh, Probiotics, Jordi Riera is responsible for strategic account management, innovation and product development, and the technical support of sales, marketing, and educational initiatives. Jordi has been responsible for the launch of over 250 probiotic products in more than 90 markets worldwide. We have several topics to cover in 60 minutes. Accordingly, please put your questions in the chat and I will submit them to our guest afterwards. Let's jump in. Jordi, how are you doing? Thank you Good. for taking time to speak with us today. Thank you, Anthony. I'm very honored to be part of this conversation today. Um, you uh, were just uh, in Barcelona um, at the International Probiotics Association World Congress and Probiata. Uh, how did it go? How did you enjoy it? Uh, tell us a little bit about the Congress. Good. Actually, Probiota is very interesting all the time because it has... Um, a good conjunction between what is the, the industry trends. So uh, having a pulse on the market uh, while not living aside the, the state of the art in terms of science. So we could have um, 
uh, a good sight on on what's going uh, to be next in probiotic landscape. Uh, we see that science is becoming more and more sophisticated. So the the classic approach to have um, let's say a purely manufacturing oriented uh, activity in the sector is is a matter of the past and more and more uh, companies and consumers are and brands are trusting probiotics that are sophisticated are in the new paradigm of precision probiotics so that was interesting you know what were the two or three most exciting developments in probiotics that were discussed at the congress yeah, personally speaking, I, I found very interesting four four items that I recall right now. One was um, uh, the 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 combination of probiotics with other ingredients. Um, for instance, uh, we we know that there is a big interest in to see, seeing how combinations with things like HMOs can help into developing better symbiotics. In that case, um, also postbiotics were around uh, for a while, and the new definition that was issued in 2021 by the ISAP helps into developing this this field that allows to apply the products into a broader range of, of uh, applications. Also, in terms of probiotics themselves, in my opinion, actually, Gabrinax is still a hot topic that, that is just appearing every Congress that you attend. And, and, and I believe that it's a, a long way to, to develop interesting products. And menopause is also uh, showing a little bit um, that, that it will be a, a next area where probiotics can can hit hard and, and offer a good solution for, for women all over the world. So my opinion, that would, would be the four items that was more interesting this edition of Probiota. Well, the future is very promising for, for probiotics. You know, Canica has established itself as one of the leading precision probiotic companies uh, with a commitment to identify the best strains for specific health strategies. And one of Canica's competitive advantages is Canica's process for discovering its precision probiotics. You know, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to walk us through Canica's discovery process for precision probiotics. But before we do that, let's provide some context for the discussion. Namely, let's establish the difference between precision and non-precise probiotics. So, uh, you know, the first question is, is uh, what is a probiotic? Let's just start at the very basic well, actually, the, the definition of a probiotic took place many, many decades after after the probiotics started. So probiotic concepts were the, the concept of a probiotic was discovered first by a by a Russian um, scientist called Menshikov uh, more than a century ago. But the definition was issued just uh, last decade. Um, so but yeah, the definition is very clear. So we, we know that probiotics should be living microorganisms that that distinguish them from from prebiotics or postbiotics so they should be living and that's very important on a quality perspective as well because living means that they should be alive through the shelf life of any product and that on a quality perspective is an important point but the second important point besides the fact that they should be alive is that they should confer a benefit to the host to the to the health of the host so it should uh, give uh, a benefit to the health of whoever is taking the product Another benefit that uh, resonates is that, you know, the health benefit of a probiotic must be demonstrated beyond inherent general nutrition. So not every strain that exhibits a positive health benefit is necessarily going to qualify to be a, a, as a probiotic. Um, and uh, the demonstration of that benefit must be scientifically substantiated. So 
you know, the question is, why is that distinction important? Why isn't it enough that a strain, you know, exhibits or, or positive benefit is observed in correlation with the, with the administration of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a strain? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the effect should be um, clinically proven for different perspectives. First is that when you administer a product to somebody, you need to understand that this benefit is replicable, so that this is not a benefit that just will benefit a spot application of the product, but it will benefit a, a general population or that, that have the intended use for that product. Um, and, and secondly, um, we, we, we should distinguish what probiotics are versus other health-associated foods like could be yogurt or kefir. We know that yogurt, for instance, is good for gastrointestinal health, but not. But automatically doesn't mean that yogurt is a probiotic. Yogurt can make different effects, different beneficial effects, but that are not replicable. And, and one yogurt is different from another. So, and, and that where, that's where the strain identity becomes so important. Actually, I like always making a comparison of, of how important a strain is versus a species or a genus. Um, if you take the example of a dog that, uh, scientifically speaking, is called the Canis familiaris, um, the species of the dog is the Canis familiaris, um, that would be the, the bacterial species. Uh, but when it comes to the bacterial strain, uh, the dogs also have different strains. They have different breeds. And when you want, for instance, a dog to look after a herd of sheep, you would take a Great Dane powerful dog to, to keep the walls away. Uh, but when you want to have a dog at home, you will take a chihuahua, which is small and, and goes well in a, in a small apartment. But you would never put a chihuahua uh, looking after the herd. So for, for bacteria, it's, it's, and probiotics is exactly the same. You would not take a strain that is a benefic that's beneficial for one thing into a very different thing, no matter if they are the same species, because the species doesn't tell us anything about what the strain will do. Okay. You know, what are the possible mechanisms of distribution among probiotics? Now that we understand basically what a pro pro probiotic is, uh, what are the ways that probiotics work in the intestine or affect the gut microbiota? Well, that, that's a very open question because in, in the beginning of probiotics, we all, or still nowadays, many consumers may think about that, but we were expecting the probiotics to modify microbiota just to modulate the composition of microbiota in the gut. Now we know that microbiota is no longer just a matter of the gut. We know that there is bacteria all over the body playing a role uh, in, in places like mucosas, like mouth, like vagina, um, even on the skin. Now it's a hot topic uh, in the lungs. And even now we know that there is microbes playing roles in the, in the, the, in the conjunctiva, so in the, in the eye surface. So we know that the probiotics are no longer meant to be modifying just the microbiota in the, in the gut level. But moreover, we know that the probiotics are not just inhabitants of this microbiota. Some a microorganisms can activate, can help the body do their physiological processes. They can uh, activate neuro neurological cascades that can activate immunological response. So probiotics become a very complex uh, uh, tool uh, that can be leveraged to, to tackle different, different health issues. So we have some strains that are complex and may demonstrate uh, or manifest many different effects uh, but on the other hand, we have 
rare strains that are very uh, specific in their effects. Um, but would you expect to have any one strain that is on all facets of this pyramid? No. Uh, well, I mean, the nature is very wide and very diverse, but the, the truth is that the more complex uh, is the effect that you want to achieve with a probiotic, the, the more difficult would be to find the right strain. So we know this is extracted from a actually from the paper that defines the probiotic uh, definition. Um, and Isaac was pointing out that while there are some benefits or some features that a strain uh, that any strain may have, like for instance, capacity to colonize or compete with pathogens uh, in the in the target uh, of the probiotic, there are some uh, effects that are very strain specific, that are very rare, that are very hard to find in nature. And, and I'm thinking, and precisely these strain specific effects that are on the top of the pyramid are much more related to the concept of precision probiotic. When you have a strain that is meant to activate a gut-brain axis response, or that can activate a particular immunological effect, or can activate a particular uh, part of the endocrine system that can help the obesity, that can help fatty liver that can help cholesterol reduction um, or even produce particular bioactives that we could call postbiotics as well. Um, not any strain can do that. While any strain of probiotic is meant to colonize, not any strain can do these very complex effects. And that's where it comes, the importance of counting on a, on a broad range of uh, candidates of, of, of potentially probiotic bacteria, so we can identify among a, a, a broad range of candidates uh, these few rare strain-specific effects uh, to deliver uh, better products. Okay. How are uh, probiotics administered? What are the, the means of administration uh, of probiotics? So, yeah, so the probiotics can be administered in many ways. Uh, the, the key aspect is that, so one, one way to answer this question, one angle would be on the matrix where you administer the probiotics. And then it comes, the probiotics can be in capsules, powders, liquids, foods, any format uh, is possible as long as you keep the first part of the definition in mind that the probiotic should be alive along the, the, um, the shelf life of the product. And that sometimes is a limiting factor, especially for instance, if you want to apply a probiotic into a food or into a beverage where, where the, the stability is a, a tricky point. So when the administration, the way you administer the probiotic is not limiting for their uh, application, as long as you keep that part of the quality in mind. The other angle to answer this question is the category, the regulatory category of the of the products. And, and here, I think that um, worldwide, there, there are still um, very few examples of countries that have done the exercise into developing the right framework to register probiotics, because um, we have examples of same product that in Europe or in the US can be a dietary supplement. In the US, you can do some claims over the health benefit. In Europe, you cannot do any kind of claim at all. But the same product in some parts of Central America uh, can be a biological drug or a natural health product. Um, in South Korea, it can be a functional food. In China, it can be a general food or a functional food. In Australia, it can be a complementary medicine. 
Uh, so you have different examples of categories that the exact, the exact same product uh, can be, uh, let's say, marketed in different forms. Actually, a good point is that more and more authorities are taking awareness of that. And in Latin America, we have a prime example of, of uh, a country that did a great job, in my opinion, into making the effort to define a, the right framework to register products. That it's Brazil in that case. Brazil uh, and Visa did a very conscious work, working with the industry, working with the, with the academia into defining a framework to develop products. And actually, that, that has been a proof that uh, by defining the right framework, you can give confidence and safety to the companies and, and researchers and, and they have dynamized a lot the market. Uh, other example is Canada. We have other examples of all the world, but I think that this is still generally the market goes two steps ahead of the of the government and the authorities and, and we are seeing how this is evolving every day. Can you speak to some of the you know recent developments on probiotic drugs? Yeah, actually, uh, probiotic drugs were like um, a target that everybody wanted to achieve, but nobody could see before uh, before recent times, as I will explain. Uh, so everybody, there was a broad interest into in the industry trying to achieve the the approval of a probiotic drug that was never achieved in 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 one of the reference uh, frameworks um, since more than 20 years ago. But in recent times, a couple of months ago, we, we got three approvals um, in a row, two for a fecal microbiome transplantation and one for a vaginal suppository. Uh, one example is a fecal microbiome transplantation approved by the FDA uh, to the company Faring. There was another approval of a fecal microbiome transplantation, a different company in Australia and TGA. And more recently, there has been an approval for the first time in, 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 in EMA, a framework of, of a drug vaginal suppository by one of the European agencies, in, the, in that case, the Italian agency. So uh, these three examples that are very recent, in my opinion, have broken a little bit the eyes of broken the eyes of, of this potential category that would allow many more developments that will go beyond the standard uh, health benefit over healthy population. So now we can see that many products, many probiotics that can deliver a benefit to conditions that are severe, um, like kidney conditions, like um, conditions of the heart, like inflammatory conditions of the gut. So many other conditions where the probiotic could play a role, but we had the limitation of the regulatory framework. With these approvals, we now open uh, a nice window for, for new innovation to achieve the, the patients in that case. And I think it's very important. Yeah, really promising uh, about what's possible in the future. Um, so, so we've established what a probiotic is. We've established the administration means uh, we've established, you know, the basic framework. Now, could you tell me what is the difference between a precision probiotic and a non-precise probiotic? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, precision probiotic concept was introduced by the academia uh, some years ago. Um, but in a, in a way, uh, a good angle to see that is that the precision probiotic is a product or the probiotic strain that is not just uh, having a broad effect not just having an unspecific uh, mechanism of action uh, other than just colonizing uh, and that can confer a broad uh, range of benefits that are not always clearly tested. The precision probiotic is a strain that we define very well the mechanisms of action through which the strain will act uh, and that we prove in clinical trials that these benefits are achieved in at the level of the host. 
So in a way, it's a different angle uh, to develop products um, in, in our industry. Okay. Well, based on that uh, understanding and the framework that we've you know, uh, developed there uh, about the difference between probiotics and precision probiotics, you know, let's discuss Canica's probiotic discovery process and what makes uh, what gives Canica uh, a competitive advantage. We know that historically uh, the discovery of probiotics has relied on the identification of bacteria enriched in healthy individuals or individuals without specific health pathologies, uh, also known as a top-down strategy. And uh, target identification at the cellular level or what is termed as a bottom-up strategy. Uh, scientific literature instructs that the top-down approach covers observational evidence, uh, causality testing in animal models and humans, and in some cases, mechanistic or host response characterization. In other words, the top-down approach identifies a correlation between a microorganism enriched in a healthy individual and uh, a health benefit upon administration to humans, right? So we have a illustration here that uh, tries to show us the difference between the two strategies, uh, a top-down and a bottom-up strategy in the uh, development and identification of probiotic strains. The interesting uh, aspect of this illustration is that all roads lead to the precision probiotic uh, in this particular slide. Um, so, you know, Jordi, could you speak to what are the strengths and the weaknesses of these two, uh, I'm not going to say competing strategies because they look like they collaborate, but between a top-down and a bottom-up strategy, what are the strengths and weaknesses of those two strategies? Yeah, in a way, the top-down approach was the classic way where uh, the uh, first probiotics were introduced. Um, actually, you identify a bacteria living in healthy individuals, and, and, and importantly, uh, this bacteria is, is generally identified because it has the capacity to colonize. Because with this top-down approach, what you expect a probiotic to do is to colonize microbiota and modify microbiota in a specific way. Uh, then the qualification of the mechanism of action in this top-down approach is a post-doc um, description of how the probiotic achieved this uh, colonization in health individuals. And, and whenever you identify that the mechanism is A, B, or C, then you can qualify it as a precision probiotic because you have a precise way it can act potentially. But in my personal opinion, that's, that's quite um, limiting for a bacteria if you want the bacteria to do more things than just modifying microbiota. And, and I'll come back to it with some examples. On the contrary, bottom-up approach, the mechanism of action um, discovery, it's not the post-talk aspect of the development. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, it's one thing that you need uh, during the development process, during the qualification, the discovery of the of the bacteria, um, because through the mechanisms of action, you uh, discover the right bacteria to achieve a particular health benefit. Um, the the different angle of this is that you can identify many more um, benefits, uh, so you can identify more things beyond 
the, the just colonization and modification of microbiota. For instance, you can see these aspects of the top of the pyramid that we saw a few slides ago, uh, where the strain can activate, can cross talk with the body, can activate different uh, mechanisms through which bacteria in conjunction with the, with the organism can perform much better in terms of many more uh, and more complex uh, health uh, issues. Um, in, interestingly, also through this mechanism, you can also have an, a different angle. That is that you can combine different mechanisms, different trains, achieving different mechanisms that we describe into more sophisticated combinations, more sophisticated blends that can allow us to personalize, to target much better, to stratify much better uh, different uh, and complex benefits to achieve in the future. And uh, through the, the advance of the basic science uh, and, and R&D work describing how complex conditions are driven by mechanisms that the microbiota can play a role, uh, we always can use trains that we know very well the mechanisms that they perform immediately into targeting these, these diseases. We, we have several examples on that. Um, for instance, uh, we, we discovered for the first time uh, just a couple of years ago during the research we did in probiotics in, in, in COVID pandemic that, uh, that the, the microbiota strains without modifying microbiota could activate the interferon type 1. And interferon type 1 is a, a route that the science knew for, for a long time that, that can help into uh, fighting viral uh, conditions, viral problems. And, and through the, the administration of probiotics and not modifying the microbiota at all, but the administration of right strains, we can help the body improve this immune response or, or activate this particular mechanism. We have other examples in other parts of, 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 uh, of, the, of the organism, gut brain axis, gut liver axis, gut skin axis, gut lung axis, all these gut something axis um are something that the the precision probiotics can be a good leverage to to tackle complex conditions you know the literature speaks to uh the the dichotomy between homogeneous uh, uh strains and heterogeneous strains and, and the, the the fact that uh the um the common understanding is that a probiotic has a homogeneous effect across hosts but in but the empirical research uh, bears out that it really there's a lot of heterogeneity. Could you help help me and help the followers understand the difference between those concepts? And when it, when the, when the literature starts it speaks to heterogeneity, uh, my understanding is that it's speaking to the fact that the effect of a probiotic is a combination of what the probiotic strain is wired to do, for lack of a better term, and the, the resident microbiome, right? So the environment within which it operates has something to do with whether it's going to be able to get to an achieved end. And that's something that we, uh, you know, scientists have not been able to predict with a lot of uh, consistency because there, because that environment's individual. And, uh, so could you speak to that difference between heterogeneity and, and homogeneity? Yeah, sure. Um, give you some example. For instance, now it's understood that everybody, uh, every individual has a fingerprint, uh, a microbiome fingerprint, sorry. So every microbiome is different and everybody of us have a different microbiome that is not necessarily better or worse than any anybody else's. So that's an important aspect because when it comes to 
uh, how probiotics may act if we have the sole uh, application of probiotic as a modification of microbiome, we may not achieve the right benefit. So if we have um, potentially healthy, even though it can be different, a potentially healthy microbiome, we don't need to modify it at all. And that doesn't make the probiotic uh, useless because the probiotic don't necessarily need to modify the microbiome to achieve the benefit. And, and, and that's important when it comes to the heterogeneity. We have these different microbiomes, uh, as different as, uh, as many as, as people exist in the world, probably. Um, if we limit the way probiotics can act into the rough modification of these individual microbiomes into a standard microbiome, we are limiting ourselves the, 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 the way that the probiotics can be useful. Well, if you have a, a precision probiotic mechanism through which you can activate particular physiologic um, uh, processes in the body that don't depend on the on the microbiome composition, uh, you have a much more powerful product because it can be applicable regardless of the heterogeneity in the microbiome. That's also having a different angle that, for instance, um, uh, for some time in the market, there have been a proliferation of products just claiming to have a very high count of CFU in the pack um, because the intuition that, that we're trying to educate to the consumers was that the more amount of CFU, the more powerful into modifying the microbiome. Or, or to modifying the microbiota, conditioning the composition of microbiota. And that's basically something that is not true. So having a big amount of bacteria, uh, most probably of, of same kinds of bacteria that are um, commercial, that are standard, that are like, say, from an industrial origin, doesn't make it powerful at all because you are modifying things that are unique on you, um, that is your own microbiome, that doesn't necessarily need to be similar to uh, something that is commercially available on a shelf. Um, also, because there is a different angle on that, that is that um, there are many uh, species and strains of bacteria that are very positive in our gut that cannot be cultured, that are not possibly administered in a commercial product. And we cannot limit the uh, harvesting of the proper microbiome to the fact that we uh, have microorganisms that we can culture in a standard fermenter. I think that this is a couple of angles that... that uh, may respond to your question but uh yeah i think it's it's important to keep it in mind okay and so this illustration um indicates that all roads possibly could lead to precision probiotics meaning whether you're have a top-down strategy or a bottom-up strategy you can get to a probiotic that is designed for a particular health outcome um you know but the question is what is the most efficacious strategy to get there, right? Because if we understand and we appreciate that we the precision probiotics is, is is where we is where the 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 the, uh, the value is, right? In the future, what's the what's the most uh, efficacious way of getting there? A bottom up or a top down strategy? Well, I mean, in in the top down, you can you first identify the bacteria and then identify the mechanism. So. The bacteria is identified not because of the mechanism, it's identified because of where it lives, that is a healthy individual. Um, and the mechanism is a post-hoc qualification of this uh, bacteria. In the motor map, uh, all the process of identifying the bacteria is related to the mechanism of action that you expect the bacteria to develop. So in a way, it allows you to develop a broader range of, of probiotics, a broader range of products, because you are not limited by the fact of the identification before you know the mechanism. 
So mm-hmm. the, in 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 the end, the 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 power of the bacteria will depend on the bacteria. But in in the top-down approach, the you just uh, put your all your eggs in one basket. That is the, the bacteria that you identify before the description of the bacteria. While in the bottom-up, you do a much more targeted research because you know what the bacteria should do before understanding with what is the bacteria that will go eventually into the product so both can be qualified as precision probiotics but um the the bottom-up approach would allow you to be much more precise in the way you identify the right strain right well i think now we 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 have enough frameworks that we can appreciate what is unique about canica and, and its approach so if you could please just walk us through Canica's probiotic development process, and you know, and tell us what what may, what gives you a competitive advantage. Yeah, sure. So we in Canica Probiotics, we have um, two different uh, ways um, to compete in terms of developing better products. One way is trying to count on the right pool of candidates. Right pool of candidates means that we want to have a good mine of potentially probiotic strains uh, that we can use when we start any research. So if you want to find this rare, and I go back to the pyramid, these rare uh, strains uh, that potentially can confer a very complex benefit to the host, finding a rare among nature uh, force you to be able to scrutiny, to screen, within a broad range of candidates. And one way we do that is the the, 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 the strain bank that we own and, and we will explain it later. The other way to compete is the way we select the right candidate. And that comes to the way we make the screening of our products, the way we describe in experiments that allow us to identify the right bacteria, the way we describe the mechanisms of action that we want the strains to develop in order to achieve the benefit that we intend to achieve. So we start off with uh, with the concept that, um, you know, we have uh, micro, microbial old friends that uh, help us stay healthy because of their diversity in our gut. And over time, as we become uh, more sophisticated and modern, we've lost them. Um, can you speak to that and... and yeah. and uh, explain it better than I just did. <laughs> no, uh, microbial old friends was formerly known as the hygienic hypothesis. It was introduced in, in 2003 um, from the academia again. Um, the, what this theory um, explains is that modern lifestyle, um, in particular things related to diet, uh, the stress, the hygienic conditions, um, fermented foods, uh, commercial cultures, all these uh, factors have influenced um, our microbiota in a way that the microbiota of the modern uh, the modern human being is much poorer, less diverse, less functional than it was centuries ago before the um, uh, Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's called microbial old friends uh, because in a way these microbes that we lost uh, were uh, initially something that comforted us several benefits. For instance, we see that in parts of the world where people are still living in pre-modern conditions, um, 
the the microbes living in their in their uh, organisms allow them to be better in things like for instance allergies autoimmune diseases inflammatory conditions uh, another intuition then is that there is indigenous people living uh, next to a river and they drink on a daily basis water from that river without any issue at all that's the way of of living uh while for a westerner or somebody living in a in an urban area in modern conditions in a modern lifestyle if they go same human being going into this uh, rainforest and drinks from the same river of this other human being living there this water would be potentially killing this uh, uh, this other human being and all that is about obviously the immune system but more in particular about the difference in the microbiome that microbiome of this let's say um, individual living in this premodal lifestyle is in a way more prepared to help this guy walk through the conditions of this premodal lifestyle um, so the intuition was that if this microbiome that we uh, have in in our modern society has been diminishing in diversity and functionality the way to develop better products would be to try to find these old friends that we lost in the mm. past few, uh in the past years or centuries and bring them back into the modern times since we don't have a time machine uh, the way to do that was going in places of the world where this time machine would be a reality because the people living there would be living in the same conditions as we would be living over a century ago before the industrial revolution so that's why we did expeditions in remote areas of the world from rainforests in uh latin america or africa or asia or even in rural areas in the mountains uh or in um and also beyond the gastrointestinal samples we took samples from vagina samples from oral um cavity samples from breast milk um trying to have a pool of potential uh, microbial old friends that would allow us to develop um, any product uh, whenever we decide to tackle a new development. So all these samples allow us to build up a strain bank. And this strain bank is, let's say, a long queue of candidates of potentially probiotic. I'm saying potentially because till the point we, 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 we explain that they, or we demonstrate that they achieve a benefit, it cannot be called a probiotic, but potentially probiotics that are there waiting for us to research and to identify uh, through, a, through a screening uh, whenever we want to develop a product for a particular benefit. And the clinical validation stage, what's happening in stage four? Yeah, sure. So as I was saying, all these candidates are potentially probiotics till the point we demonstrate the benefit to the health of the host. So demonstrating a benefit to the health of the host means having the clinical validation. So in any process of screening, what we do is walk through uh, the, the research, the search for the bacteria that would follow a particular mechanism of action to identify over a pool of thousands of candidates, which would be the champion at this particular precise mechanism of action. And out of this identification of the right candidate, next step is to verify that this hypothesis of understanding that this one candidate or, or a, comp, a combination of candidates 
would be the champion at this condition, we need to verify that in a clinical setup. And after the clinical validation, we can consider that the product is a probiotic and that is a reality that we can offer to the market. And would this be properly, correctly classified as a, as a top-down approach, what, we just, what you just described? No, actually, it's, it's the other way around. It's a bottom-up uh, approach totally because all this scrutiny, all this search for the right candidate coming from thousands of candidates to very few or to single one uh, is done in a, in a, let's say, in a criteria of uh, a mechanism of action. So the, the thing we do is before we develop a product, we try to think which mechanisms uh, related to a bacteria could be helpful for a condition out of the mechanisms we define a battery of, of experiments that will allow us to identify which strains in this pool of candidates would be developing the mechanism of action that we intend to have. So the mechanism is before we identify the bacteria and, and it's bottom up because we start for a big pool of candidates and we end up with one uh, finalist or, or champion in this development or this is a research. Okay. So what, what role does uh, in silico or in vitro or in vivo technologies, what, what role do those technologies play in the Yeah, depends, de depending on the mechanism, we, we can use a combination of them. So, uh, for instance, if we want to, to identify uh, an, expression, uh, an expression of a certain gene, for instance, developing uh, or metabolizing a particular molecule or producing a particular enzyme, we can do in silico because we can look for the gene that would encode for this expression. Uh, but for instance, when, when it comes to, uh, let's say, mechanisms that are related to the interaction with other cells, like for instance, um, inflammatory conditions or inflammatory mechanisms, we may need a preclinical or an in vivo screening with, with a cell line or with an animal trial. Um, some other parts may be in vitro, for instance, antibiotic resistance or competition with other pathogens. So we, we, we should mix the different methods to find the, the, the appropriate mechanism or pool of mechanisms and to find the right uh, product in the end. Mm -hmm. And, and so we have uh, these different technologies that at the end being validated clinically. Is that cor correct? Yeah, exactly. So all these methodologies are to identify the right strain. And when we find the right strain, then we move into clinical. And with clinical, we verify that all the assumptions that we follow during the screening with the different methodologies are a reality in terms of the clinical substantiation of the benefit to the host. Okay. And is there any risk of having, you know, conflicting results, uh, you know, in the sense that we might have, uh, you know, this is a bottom-up approach, but we might have an empirical process where we have different results that might be conflicting about a particular uh, host or a particular application of strain to microbiota. Yeah. I mean, it's science. In science, uh, science is not exact. Uh, probably just math is exact. So in science, you always have a risk of conflict and a risk of, of, of having results that are not replicated. That's why we don't just stay in one single clinical trial when we develop a product. When we develop a product, we immediately replicate the clinical trial and we continue the development of the product, understanding how 
other benefits can be achieved with the with the mechanism that we identified in other conditions so it's a research in progress um, all the time and when a conflict arises we need to go back and review the process and review whether the mechanism was the right one whether the mechanism was enough substantiated enough on a basic science uh, and continue this continuous review Okay, well, this is a good segue for uh, you to speak about some of the research that Canik has done uh, in this regard. Yeah, actually, um, to give you another an, an example, uh, we have a product that is um, that is good or was originally developed for for inflammatory conditions of the gut, uh, like IBS, like diarrhea, bloating, pain, etc. Um, that we discovered that through a particular effect at the level of gut permeability, let's say strengthening the tight junctions of the of the gut epithelium, could be helpful for a very different condition that is the the food intolerances. Like, and we did two different studies: one in lactose and one in fructose, showing how, in that case, for up intensive GI I three one in different parts of Latin America, uh, could be helpful both for these inflammatory conditions. Uh, but at the same time can be helpful for people having symptoms of, of food intolerance. Mm -hmm. It is the same mechanism, but the clinical validation allows us to uh, offer the same mechanism in different conditions. And that's a prime example, in my opinion, of how valuable it is to do, uh, to do, the, to do the continuous review and continuous research of, of the evidence, especially because the basic science that is where we uh, where we um, look at any time we want to develop a product, but the basic science is evolving. So one mechanism that we discover, maybe we don't understand right now, that it can be helpful for a condition that in few years in the future may be um, discovered at some part of the world that that mechanism could be helpful for a different condition. And that may allow us to have this train that we knew that was doing the, the, the mechanism of action applied into this new condition uh, thanks to the advance of the basic science. So I'm always encouraging that besides the fact that we are a company, that we need to make money with our research, it's very important for us to leverage the basic, the, the basic research. So it's very important for institutions to support the basic research because basic research allow companies then to apply the know-how in developing products into new benefits for a broader uh, population, a broader audience of, of consumers and patients all over the world. So we've uh, we or kind of have done some research on IBS and the the the, the uh, potential of precision uh, probiotics to address lactose intolerance and fructose intolerance. Uh, can you speak to some of those uh, developments? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was explaining. So um, the, the important part is that we uh, don't um, enrich the probiotic in the benefit. So what defines the probiotic product is not the benefit that we achieve with the clinical validation, but one step before, what defines the probiotic is the mechanism of action. When you have a very powerful, well-defined mechanism of action, then you can think about how this mechanism of action can help in different conditions, in different health benefits. So prime example is this product that out of a mechanism that was originally developed for IBS, and IBS is a condition that have inflammatory problems and have a leaky gut situation, has a problem of dysbiosis, and understanding a mechanism of action that uh, leverages the, produ the production of particular metabolites, postbiotics, 
that can help in the tight junctions that can modulate the inflammatory uh, pathways of the of the gut and the body. Uh, but the same mechanism was helpful for another condition that is different in principle. And I'm saying in principle because in reality it has similarities. That is the food intolerance. What happens when you have a food intolerance to fructose, to lactose? In a way, it's like a temporary induction of a, of a kind of IBS because the food intolerance what activates is an immune reaction that causes a leaky gut or that is derived from a leaky gut situation but causes an, inflama an inflammation that in the end results in a very similar symptom as the IBS. So by understanding that there is a common root in the mechanisms or in the pathophysiology of the two conditions, we understood that the same product could be applicable to these two conditions. But the mechanism was essentially the same the mechanism through which we tackle the two conditions is the same, but the conditions are different and the population that benefits from the product is different. Okay. And, you know, at the root of, of, of the efficacy of, of probiotics and precision probiotics seems to be a, a, a lack of information. It's if we had more information about individuals and their uh, microbiota, we would be able to, to, to design probiotics or identify probiotics more, uh, you know, more easily and more with more efficacy. So, you know, the Journal of Genetic Counseling estimates that uh, by 2030, over 100 million Americans will have their genome sequenced and that a significant proportion of the general population will have their micro microbiome sequenced. Um, with this, if that comes to fruition and scientists have the facility of that information, what effect will that have on the efficacy of, of probiotics and, and uh, precision nutrition and pr preventative medicine, uh, you know, including precision pro probiotics? So, yeah, well, well, that was a little bit what I was um, uh, trying to stress when I was mentioning the basic science. So um, when science allows us to understand different pathways through which we can, from the perspective of microbiota, influence in in in, in physiologic um, uh, mechanisms of the body, uh, it opens a door uh, for more applications of probiotic products uh, to a broader range of conditions. So back, back in the times, uh, for instance, we introduced for the first time in the world a probiotic that could lower cholesterol. And it was clear the mechanism through which the product was lowering cholesterol. And it was clear the benefit of lowering the cholesterol um, but I mean, sometimes the science understood that, uh, but the, um, the market was not yet understanding that, that the probiotic could lower cholesterol. So it's very important that we do first, we do a research, uh, to advance in understanding how from the microbiota, you could, um, you could influence, uh, different aspects of the human physiology, but at the same time, it is very important to continue the education of the audience, edu education on the uh, on the on the public, on the consumer perspective, but also education of the brands, of education of products that are uh, taking the responsibility to market products, because it's very important to educate how powerful it is the microbiome uh, into helping different aspects of of um, of the of the human health. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's a work in progress that we need to insist on, that we need to, um, to take a very 
to take big care of and we, we we need to take care of this education because in a way this is also um a, a path through which uh, us as industry can allow uh innovation to reach uh market before uh, we commoditize the market. So it's very important that we act responsibly in having the right substantiation to making the right claims, to making the right uh, uh, clinical work to substantiate our products and not to overpromise on the products that we put on the shelf. And that's, I think, a big responsibility we need to take uh, as an industry. Um, the, the the last topic we're going to cover today is the uh, is the application of precision probiotics to Latin America and the Caribbean. You know, this slide is, uh, you know, speaks to the uh, potential positioning of probiotics um, given the health concerns um, in the region. Uh, we, we have this, uh, you know, this cross uh, axis here where everything in the top right is, uh, you know, uh, concerns that are also, um, uh, you know, affecting people in their real lives. Uh, and these seem to be, uh, you know, ripe opportunities for Canica and, and for precision probiotics. Could you speak to some of these opportunities? Yeah, sure. Actually, uh, it's interesting because you in, in Latin America, so Latin American market for probiotics, it, one important aspect to take care of is that is a, a, a market that is HCP driven, is healthcare practitioner driven. So the main gatekeeper in the recommendation of a product is, is not an influencer that you can see in social media, but your medical doctor. And that makes the, the, the market be more sophisticated, more complex in terms of the clinical substantiation of the products that we, we offer into market. And, and that, in a way, draws a very uh, bold line uh, between uh, products that can be a little bit banal in a way versus products that are uh, entitled to be recommended by a practitioner. Um, keeping that in mind, we see that uh, the concerns of the market are much related, are quite related to things that um, um, that um, are just not limited by the gastrointestinal health. We see that there is more and more awareness in the market on the gut-brain axis, for instance. We see that, for instance, uh, stress, or sleep or even uh, mood or anxiety are things that interest the market. And, and that's quite uh, new as well, but practitioners understand that the, the product can help into stress, not just uh, mental stress, but also gastrointestinal stress like IBS. Uh, actually, IBS is an underdiagnosed condition uh, that many people uh, can make uh, a confusion with the, with general stress uh, with gastrointestinal derivates. So th this aspect is important in the market, and we see that the very interesting products are popping up uh, to address these particular conditions. Uh, cholesterol obviously is also a, a high thing, a thing of of, uh, of a high interest by the market because uh, unfortunately Latin America is a there is a high prevalence of hypercholesterolemia, and next to come will be non-alcoholic fatty liver that is also a, a huge issue in in developed societies but also in latin america 
And it also, obviously, there is the part of overweight obesity due to the fact that the, there is a change in lifestyle that happened very fast in the past few decades that uh, has a derivative microbiome. Maybe we'll touch base on that. Um, and also, another one that I want to just uh, draw a little bit of an interest is the eye health, because we recently introduced into the market the first, world's first eye drop with a postbiotic or using a a heat kill probiotic on it um, because we believe that despite eye health may seem far away from the gut or microbes, microbes can play a role as well on, on dermal tissues and, and conjunctiva is a dermal tissue and, and we managed to develop a, a better product for dry eye using a, one of our uh, strains. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting that cancer is, uh, is at 5% of affected, but everyone's, you know, it's, it's a high concern within the region. I would have expected to see a higher prevalence of cancer in the region, but, um, you know, the, you know, in heart disease, because heart disease is positively correlated with, you know, obesity and, uh, but, but heart disease is at between five and 10 percent affected. So it's interesting, you know, the, the empirical truths about, uh, you know, uh, the health condition in, in the region. Yeah, sure. you go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was supposed to say that uh, on the right side, we have things that are not life threatening. And when it comes to life threatening conditions are, are fortunately less present or less affected in the population. Mm -hmm. Right, and obesity and and, uh, and diabetes has been a, a topic of research uh, within the recent past. Um, there is a, uh, a study that was done uh, by the Department of Epidemiology at Albert Einstein on gut microbiome composition of uh, the Hispanic community that migrated from uh, Latin America and the Caribbean to the U.S., and, um, you know, this speaks to the dynamic, uh, Jordi, that you were speaking about in that process of migration, uh, what was manifested or studied was the loss of those microbial old friends and how that was manifested in, you know, the community um, um, having health problems that they didn't have previously uh, within their lineage. Um, fascinating study. Um, you know, the conclusion was, you know, particular aspects of the microbiome may explain unusual epidemiological patterns observed among the Latino community, such as high prevalence of diabetes, obesity, and asthma. Um, you know, and so my, my question is, what, what are some of the uh, events within the modernization of society that causes us to lose, uh, you know, these um, you know, uh, microorganisms that are really important to our survival. I mean, we're trying to survive by becoming more sophisticated, but at the same time, we're we're hurting ourselves, it seems. Yeah, sure. Actually, uh, so again, going back to science, uh, in the beginning, it was thought that the lifestyle was the, the prime affection uh, to understand how individuals may uh, respond into an environmental condition. Then we understood that genetic was playing genetics was playing a role into um, different aspects. Then we understood that epigenetics was playing also a role into beyond genetics. Epigenetics was playing a role, and no matter if we had big genetic similarities, 
the difference in epigenetics that epigenetics is much related also from for to the origin of of the people and, and it's an imprinting that can be uh, inherited generation after generation uh, but epigenetics was a new discovery to understand how different or in principle similar individuals may react differently to the same environmental conditionings now few years ago, it was understood that microbiome was also an imprinting that was conditioned the different reaction into the same environment. And actually, microbiome, interestingly, has been pointed out to be partially inherited. We know that, for instance, in, in research that has, done, uh, has been done recently, that uh, uh, mother and children have similarities in, in microbiome or relatives living in, under the same roof in the same house have similarities in their microbiome due to this crosstalk with the environment that conditions the composition and, uh, and the function of the microbiome. So in this example of this paper, we understand that the gut microbiome of, of, uh, of a community that has uh, migrated relatively fast in, in, in the context of human history to, uh, uh, let's say, a lifestyle or an environment that is far away from what they were used to uh, in terms of generational, um, um, let's say, evolution, um, the differences in the gut microbiome of this population of origin made them react differently than the population living under the same environment. Uh, and that has made them be more um, prone to develop issues like obesity. And, and obesity is not just related to this lifestyle that we understood in the beginning. Obesity is not just the calorie intake, because for the same calorie intake with different microbiome composition, you will develop an obesity or you will not develop this obesity because microbiome can condition the energy metabolism, can condition the uh, lipid intake, the absorption of particular nutrients and calories. And, and that's why one yet another prime example that we need to look after the microbiome and take care of the microbiome through the right diet, by the right intake of probiotics, by the right uh, yeah, lifestyle intervention, uh, so we can protect ourselves no matter our origin uh, from different issues that can be driven from the perspective of microbiome. You know, we started out by saying Canica Probiotics is committed to promoting business development to provide solutions to support healthy and energetic lives. I'd like to add that, you know, you know you're doing good work to improve the, the quality of, of of people's lives, um, which is really important. So congratulations. Uh, you guys are doing uh, important work there and uh, we'll be following you from Panama. Jordi, thank you for your time. It's been enlightening, uh, your wealth of information and uh, good luck in the future. And, uh, and uh, we'll be keeping in touch. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity and the interest. All right, take care. Bye.